Hello and welcome to Coffee Milk. I'm Mark Laporte. And I'm Mitch Chapalo. I was so proud of you. I was at work and I got your phone call and you were so pumped about making stickers. And you actually made stickers and you got them. You got them in 24 hours and I am obsessed with them. They look so good. Mm -hmm. We got our logo and it's uh, white on white and then you just kind of added yellow and then you put the QR code, which was really smart. And I know you're going to start sticking them everywhere, which is awesome. But uh, I want to say it, it just looks outstanding. I'm so proud of it. I think it is very plain. I don't know. I don't think it's outstanding at all. It needs a lot of improvement. Yes, but it's the fact that you also took the initiative, and this is what you want to do. You create it in Photoshop. You sent it to yeah, the Yeah, it was a nightmare. I was just amazed that it came in the next day. I mean, it wasn't even 24 hours. Oh, yeah. You called me in the afternoon. Yeah. I heard the delivery truck come, and I thought it was my dad's package or something that he ordered. And then I look outside, and I see the sticker meal package, and I'm like, no way. They overnighted it to me. And I have a theory, because when I tracked the shipment, it said that it was a, it was going to arrive in like a week. And then I, I go the next day, and I have the package. So I'm like, because it's the first time I ordered, I think they overnighted it to me. Oh, just so you hear me repeat as a repeat customer because I'll remember that I'll get my stickers really fast, you know? All right, so anything, oh, uh, I want to ask you, Google uh, the thing, the ads. <laughs> you also created Google ads. Yeah, same day. I'm so I was like, okay, so we're going to try Google ads too. In one day, I think I got 18 impressions. Okay. And what's cool about it is you're getting impressions in the SERPs, but if they don't click on the ad, you, you don't have to pay, pay for, for anything. So it's basically like a little bit of free exposure. Yeah. So it's kind of nice. It's kind of like having a free billboard. Yeah, I just, um, I went on to Google Ads with no knowledge at all of what it was. I just knew it was a thing. Signed up, uh, entered in our website homepage as what I want people to go to when they right. click on the link. Did you pick uh, the audience you were trying to target? Are yeah, you so- All the stuff? So I didn't pick a specific audience I was trying to target. It was just search results. So I did a bunch of keywords like best podcast in Rhode Island, Rhode Island business podcast, uh, podcast for entrepreneurs, all different types of keywords that I wanted our ad to show up when people type this thing in Google. So that that's the way I chose to do it. Mark on. Yeah. Uh, do we get any impressions today or should you get that stuff 24 hours later? Is it real time? I could check right now. And I say go for it. In two days, we've had a $0.35 cent spend. We've gotten 223 impressions and three clicks. So not many clicks. It says the ad is, um, they're still fine-tuning the ad campaign to get us better results. And I also am not putting that much money in. So oh, yeah. not so going to be getting that many clicks. But 223 impressions is pretty damn good for I'll take it. Yeah, two days. Again, I'm just thrilled that you were proactive. You didn't. Saw something you wanted to do, and you did it. Yeah. That's all that matters. You keep doing that, and you're going to be a millionaire in no time. All right, so for this episode, what I told you was I wanted you to get uh, a person that you thought was inspiring or you liked a story, anything like that, a company you found interesting, and then an idea. Yep. But I wanted to start off with my guy because okay. his story is amazing. His name is Jerry Weintraub, and his biography is called His Way. This guy was born in the Bronx, and it was funny. Ever since he was a kid, he always had this like little entrepreneurial spirit. When it would snow out, him and his little brother would go to different diners uh, around the corner and say, you know, if we shoveled your dry, uh, your walkway, how much would you give us? So they'd get 50 cents each and a hot chocolate. So they would do that. They would also, they lived in these big apartment complexes, so they would deliver dry cleaning or groceries, anything like that. They'd have a car with fruits and vegetables, all, all things like that. And when they would go to door to door, Jerry would have his uh, younger brother in front because it was so much smaller that the people, when they were getting their groceries, would feel bad and they'd tip them more. So I thought oh that was, gosh. it was awesome. And then anytime any kids in the neighborhood wanted to uh, get a job, you know, working for Jerry, they'd have to go through Jerry and they'd give him 50% of their tips. Wow. And then they, that's kind of how I became kind so of he a, was just a, a consultant. He was a hustler from the start. Yes. What I really liked about this was it, it seemed his father, I don't think he graduated high school. He, he dropped out at about 14 and became a traveling salesman. He, uh, he would go 
almost door to door or convention to convention, he'd sell jewelry. One time on his trip, he found a really large star sapphire. And at the time, those things weren't, I mean, now they're actually worth something, but back then it was just a worthless stone. But he had cut it and created some mystery behind it where anytime he would go in and sell jewelry, he'd always have a Brinks truck pull up and he'd come out of the Brinks truck and this case that holds the star sapphire would be handcuffed to his arm and he'd always have these dinner parties where he'd show off the star sapphire and he would bring a lot of jewelry that he knew he would sell out immediately at these shows. It was just kind of crazy that he took something from nothing, created an allure, and then from that was able to sell out of the product that he had. It's So he was also a hustler. He started off as a page in NBC in New York right after the Air Force. So from the page, he worked at a mail room at the William Morris Agency, and he went out to lunch. He overhears two agents from MCA talk about an opening in the TV department. So this guy, mind you, works in the mail room. Mm-hmm. He gets on the phone. He calls up. He said, yeah, I want to I wanna talk to whoever's in charge of TV. And they're like, okay, well, that's Dick Rubin. He's like, yeah, put me through to uh, Dick. <laughs> and sure enough, Dick Rubin picks up the phone, and he's like, all right, Dick, yeah, it's a Jerry Weintraub over at MCA, or uh, William Morris. I'm looking to make a, a switch over to the TV at, at uh, MCA. And he's like, oh, fabulous. Why don't you come down on Tuesday, come into my office, and we'll talk. A guy from the mailroom talked his way into the president's office for a position in the TV department that he didn't have any qualifications for. And that's why I say it's it's a fake it till you make it thing. And this guy is the epitome of that story. So from there, yeah, he gets in charge of the TV department. And I guess he gets promoted to nightclubs, which I didn't realize TV wasn't as popular as maybe nightclubs. Maybe it's the live performers. Maybe they make more, but I didn't realize that. So Jerry's this kind of crazy guy. He meets this woman, Jane Morgan, uh, at a nightclub, very famous singer. And Jane is married. Her husband sings with her. But her husband said, you know what? I like our agent we have now, but he's never come to see, see you sing. And this guy's come to see you sing, and I think he's, I think he's going to be good for you, so you should sign with him. So she says that when she met him, there's this crazy spark in his eye, and she liked interesting and crazy men. So, of course, she signed with him, and he kind of gave her an ultimatum because her husband would sing in the middle of her set, and he'd sing a song called Danny Boy and just bring everything down in the in the nightclub. So he said, look, it's either him or me. Danny Boy is out, uh, or you can find another agent. So she took him up on that, and... Then they kind of had a falling out, so she divorced her husband, and then her and Jerry Weintraub came, went, got together. They ended up getting married in Vegas. Then this is where his career starts to skyrocket, and it all just sparks from an idea at 3 o'clock in the morning. He gets up and he writes down, Jerry Weintraub pres- presents Elvis. He never met Elvis. He doesn't know uh, Colonel Tom Parker. No idea how this is going to happen, but he wakes up his wife and he tells her, Look, I'm going to be Elvis's tour manager. So wow. I ended up somehow getting in touch with Colonel Tom Parker, who was Elvis's manager or just, I don't know, if it's manager or agent. To me, they're all the same, so I really don't know that industry very well, but he was in charge. He said, yeah, it's, uh, hey, Colonel Tom Parker. He's like, yes. It's like, oh, this is Jerry Weintraub. Yes. It's like, look, I uh, want to take Elvis on tour. Colonel Tom Parker's like, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. No. He called him every day. It was his first call when he would wake up. He'd call up Colonel Tom Parker and same spiel. And he's like, I know, I know, you know, you don't want to. And they kind of became good friends. And after one year, Colonel Parker calls him up. He said, look, you still want to take Elvis on tour? Get me a million dollars and you can take him on tour. Wow. This guy doesn't have, you know, 10 grand to his name. How's he going to get a million dollars? So he ends up going to Vegas. He calls up uh, some friends in New York who tell him, call this radio station owner in Washington. He might go for it. So he calls up the guy and they make a deal. If you give me a million dollars, I'll give you 50% of my cut from the Elvis tour. Great friggin' deal because I couldn't even imagine what this guy made from that. 
So here he is. He goes to this Las Vegas bank. He's wearing snakeskin boots, uh, you know, jeans and a cowboy hat. And he just doesn't look the type. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm here for a, a wire transfer of a million dollars. And they kind of laughed. And then all of a sudden, here comes the vice president walking out. And he's like, oh, Mr. Weintraub, yes, we have the wire transfer for you. What's this for? And he's like, oh, I'm taking Elvis on, uh, on tour. And the vice president's like, do you need an accountant? He was ready to quit his vice president job to go work for Jerry because... Vice president of the bank. Yes. Wow. And it's just, I don't know if this was the charisma, but he exuded this vibe that people just wanted to be around him. Yeah. So from that, he goes, he meets up with Colonel Tom Parker. He gives him the, the million dollar check. And they get in the office and Colonel Parker's like, all right, so where are we touring? Jerry's like, well, I don't know. All right, well, when are we going to do this? I don't know. Just didn't. He just didn't know. And mind you, this came from an idea at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he just persisted, and it came true. But he still figured it out as he went. And that's why I always say, don't get analysis paralysis. Just go. Just go with it, whatever your idea. Colonel Parker says, okay, well, how about this? Elvis and I will take 50%. You get 50%. Sound fair? I just can't imagine the amount of money you make from somebody like Elvis, uh, oh, well, the well. king. Elvis only had one one thing. It was he wanted every seat filled, and he wanted his fans in the front. He didn't want any big wigs in the front. He just wanted good energy. They go, they do the first they do the first night. It's electrifying. Every seat sold out, and they, they suggest, well, why don't you do matinee shows, stuff in the afternoon? He's like, oh, okay. Jerry does this thing in Miami, keeps calling the ticket guy, says, oh, how's everything? The guy's like, it's great, sold out. Well, day of the tour, or day before the tour, Jerry goes there, and he sees racks of tickets on the wall, and he's like, what are those What are those for? And he's like, oh, those are the tickets we didn't sell, 5,000 of them. Wow. Now, in 24 hours, Elvis is going live, and you got 5,000 seats. How do you fill them? So he no way out. he fills the seats. He freaks out, calls the sheriff, and he's like, "Look, I got to do something about these seats." So the sheriff's no problem. Gets all the prisoners. They go to the the state. No way. Pull out. No way. Five thousand seats. Put them in the parking lot and put a tarp over them. <laughs> so Elvis goes there and he sees all the seats filled, but he noticed something's off and he's like, you know what? I don't want to do the matinee shows, the, the evening shows, the, the crowd seems louder and more lively. So they just stick with that. But it's just crazy. Again, you see a problem like that. He's like, yeah, call over the prisoners and take out 5,000 seats. So and after probably the first tour, Colonel Tom Parker has two suitcases, grabs Jerry. They go into an electrical closet dumps out two suitcases full of cash and he's like oh, this is everything from the concessions and everything jerry's like well i just own the tour this is all for you Colonel's like no if i have a partner it's we're 50 50 and everything so he takes his cane he slams it on the desk and he just like separates the money one way or another he says this is your half this is my half are we good and after the tour he said that's when he became a multi-millionaire he made that much money from the tour that he was a multi-millionaire. Wow. So after the tour, very successful, Frank Sinatra wants to come out of retirement. Calls up Jerry Weintraub and says, hey, um, I want you to do for me what you did for Elvis. And Jerry was hesitant. He's like, I don't know. I heard you don't go to all your bookings. And you're saying this to Frank Sinatra, probably the most connected man to everybody. And you don't want to like say something like that to him. Yeah. And so Frank kind of got upset. He's like, why would you say something like that? Jerry's like, look, you've lived your life. I'm a kid. I'm just starting out. So if I do something like this and it doesn't work out, well, I'm screwed. Whereas you're Frank Sinatra. And Frank said, how about if you don't disappoint me, I won't disappoint you. He signed with him and he, uh, he blew up his career. But after a while, I mean, didn't blow up his career, but he just, he brought him to all different places, places that Frank Sinatra wouldn't normally go, Phoenix, Arizona. What he noticed was with Elvis, it was easy to sell the $5 and $10 seats. It was harder to sell the $100 seats. Somebody like Frank Sinatra, it's easy to sell $100 seats. It's not easy to sell the $5 and $10 seats. But after a while, like, stadiums just became full. People got used to Frank Sinatra yeah. being there. Yeah, it just took a while. It was like a transfer in the music. Yeah. You know? After a while, Frank kind of becomes unhappy. 
It's like, look, we're, we're doing the same thing all the time. It just, I don't want to do this anymore. And then Jerry is like, no, I got it. I got an idea. She had nothing. And he's like, how about we, uh, how about we go live around the world? Frank's like, wow, live around the world. He's like, not only that, we're going to do it in a boxing ring and we're going to make it the main event. So he gets Frank Sinatra's juices all firing and everything. He's like, and we're going to do no rehearsals. Frank's like, no rehearsals? This is perfect. So the time comes. Where do you where do you hear something like that? And we're gonna do no rehearsals at all. We're just gonna wing it completely live. I mean, and it, they're like, hell yeah, oh, this yeah. guy is nuts. If you could, you'd put him in an institution. The day comes, and he's been trying to call Frank Sinatra. He's worried. He doesn't know what songs he's gonna sing. Anything. So he goes to see Frank at the hotel, and Frank says. Okay, nope, we're fine. What are you worried about? And Jerry's like, well, we've got to go to commercial six times. What song will you be singing? What's going to happen? Frank's just calm, cool, and collected. I'll be singing a song when we go to commercial, and I'll be singing the same song or a different song after commercial. It's like, just don't worry about it. Mm. It was huge. It was a great event. I mean, you still probably see it on YouTube. It was wild. Jerry was freaking out the entire time, but I want to say that kind of also made Jerry's career, and that's where he got his love for producing, because after that, he had a little stint with John Denver. Um, they became great friends, but he was also John Denver's manager. John Denver at the time was working with a group called the Chad Mitchell Trio, so this was before John Denver became John Denver. Signs with Jerry, boom, blows him up, but after a while, he also became unhappy, and his whole group did. They're complaining about the food, the hotels, the the places they're booking, things like that. So they want to fire Jerry. And Jerry's like, wait, what's what's the problem? I'm like, well, the food sucks. So he's writing it down. The food sucks and the hotel's no good and the, the places suck. And he's like, all right, well, give me till 5 o'clock. And he comes back at 5 o'clock. He's like, all right, it's done. Everything's perfect now. We fired Ferguson. Ferguson's gone, and we don't need to, to worry about everything's going to be better. And John Denver's like, wow, okay. And he tells the group, he's like, look, Jerry fired Ferguson. The food's going to be better. The hotel's going to be better. Everything's going to be great. And Jerry just made up Ferguson. There is no Ferguson. He just created him to fire him again that's just the genius behind this man because the ferguson was him oh yeah he was buying the cheaper hotels and the cheaper food absolutely well i don't even know if he was doing the cheaper stuff or if just john denver was kind of a diva even the waldorf astoria might not have been good enough i don't know about that john jerry weintraub doesn't seem somebody who would be stingy with that stuff Mm. is the food here it's going to be. Uh, yep, I, I see him. He's pulling up in three, two, one. So Mitch ordered food. It just showed up. When he's about to go out and grab it, he grabs one of our stickers with the QR code. He says, you got to promote. How do you not love this guy? This is hilarious. It was later on, like him and John Denver became so close, almost like brothers, where they even had a pact where if one person dies, the other person was going to take care of their kids and everything. Okay. So later on, when John Denver kind of walks into his office and says, look, I'm firing you, it it really kind of broke Jerry's heart, and he didn't even want to know. He's just like, you know what? I'm disgusted with you. We're done. It was kind of that that became the turning point for him, that he realized in the music industry that the musicians were the employers and the agents and everything that were really supposed to manage them were really the employees. But in movies, completely different. It's the opposite. Producers are in charge and the um, the talent are the employees. So it was when he met this guy, Bob Altman. It probably took an hour within meeting him that Bob Altman wanted Jerry to sign him as a client. But Jerry says, no, I don't want to do that. I want to produce movies with you. So they came together and that's when they, say it was like 1975, it was the movie Nashville kind of brought them to stardom because it was just a well-done movie. It was amazing. After that, he got bigger and better. So he thinks he's on this kind of just up and 
upcoming trend where he creates his own movie studio. $500 million he puts into it. And he wants to create three movies for $250 million over a year. This guy just got way too big and he's not the type of person to run a movie studio because for him it's individuality. For normal movie studios, it's committees. Everything's run by a committee. He can't do that. Ends up going bankrupt. Feels like a failure. And he ends up taking his friend's boat, going to the Bahamas, and just kind of retiring from the world for a while because he doesn't want to deal with this failure. But then ends up coming back. This was maybe early 2000s when they came up with Ocean's Eleven. It's a great like heist movie. But it has Matt Damon, um, George Clooney, all these people, and these guys ran pranks on each other and everything. But it was from then on that he just kind of like got his his foot in the door again. He he just felt back, and it, it was just a good story to see him start from nothing, create something out of nothing, lose it all, and then come back to do great things. So that's what I have for my person. I probably took up about 20 minutes. I'll, I'll cut that down. <laughs> so who I found was Bubba Watson. Um, he he was a multi-time major champion and one of the longest drivers in the PGA. And so he always played golf, and he just decided to turn it into his, his sport, into a career. All right, so his net worth is estimated to be about $30 million. It is estimated that Watson over time has earned about $45 million in total from the beginning of his golf career in 2002 to the end of his career. And he also has these really cool kind of like deals and little like marketing connections that he does with these crazy vehicle companies. I was watching a video where Mr. Beast reacts to content. You know, he has that YouTube channel, Rice Reacts. I was watching that, and I saw a hovercraft golf cart going across the course and just going over all of the water, all of the sand, just everything, just flawlessly, so smooth, wasn't messing up the course at all. And this guy was just in his car. He's got the clubs on the back. It looks futuristic and everything just floating ac across the land. So, yeah, so that really piqued my interest. So I looked up who was kind of affiliated with it, and it was Bubba Watson partnering with this company called Neotrick. A Neotrick? Yeah, which uh, originally produced the hovercrafts for first responders. So they were given to just, like, first responders who have to, like, get to really, like, bad situations. So, like, say you have to go over rivers and rocks and whatnot, you can do that. So they have a bunch of videos of them doing that. And this was never intended to be used as a commercial product. But now that Oakley has kind of sparked the idea originally to make the video, and then Bubba went through with it, everyone is talking about this. But Mr. Beast wants one. They have gotten 150 calls ever since that video came out of the golf cart just going across the course in the water. I think that this company has some potential for sure. Back in, I believe it was 2018 or 2017, he had this vehicle displayed um, on the news in many different articles. It was a jetpack, a sing single person electronic jetpack. You would get into it, it would go up to 46 miles an hour and it could reach 3,000 feet in altitude. And this was tested. There's videos of it flying. It flies really smooth. And it's it's pretty incredible. If, if you think about it, he, he kind of just lays it out in plain words in one of his interviews. He says that if people are going around on these futuristic vehicles from hole to hole while they're golfing, wouldn't it make golf more interesting for everyone? It would just draw more people to golf in general because they would see these futuristic machines. And he basically just proved his point, like with the hovercraft and now how Mr. Beast even wants one and multiple people are calling in and now the company is considering producing them. I've always wanted a hovercraft while well, it was a hoverboard ever since Back to the Future Part 2. They were set in the future. It was probably around now time. If I watch a movie again, it'll be like, oh, this is set in 2020. And I've always looked forward to this damn thing. And it's never come to fruition. And you're telling me I could get a hovercraft golf cart? I would drive that thing everywhere. Could you imagine, like, retirement communities in Florida? All these people are using yeah. hover hovercraft. Yeah, it's going to oh. run them around 250K for the um, for the wow. jetpack one. And that goes, the golf cart, I think, is around, like... 25000 to 50000 Oh, I'd spend that in a heartbeat. I'd get that tomorrow. 
I'd clear out trails in the woods. I just hovercraft around. But the jetpack also, I saw one with a guy having kind of two jetpacks on his arms. I don't know yep. if he had a thing on the back. Is that the one or is it no. different? Okay, that was a different powered by jet fuel. This is two. This is a like a pack you put on. It's like basically you almost step into it. Oh, and you have two hand controls, and on either side of you is a giant um fan, electric fan. Ducks fan. So the company that um, produce produces the jetpack is called. Well, the jetpack itself is called the BW Air, and the company is called Martian Aircraft. So once he got all his prize money from golf, kind of how he started spending it and making it work for him, he owns a car dealership. He co-owns a car dealership in his hometown. He also co-owns a um, a driving range and a golf center. He owns his local minor league baseball team called the Blue Wahoos. And he also owns a candy shop called Bubba Sweets in his hometown. That's that's awesome. So he's doing a lot of different things. See, I don't know much about him. My favorite golfer, John Daly. That guy's just crazy. If you Mm -hmm. watch a little video snippets of him, he's just pulls up, drinking a beer, smoking a cigarette. He's like, what's the course record? Just starts going at it. Guaranteed he'll probably break the course record too. Yeah, I heard about him on another, I think it was another podcast. They were talking about how this guy will just drink beers all day, and the more he drinks, the better he hits. He just nails it down the fairway straight every time. One more interesting person I have that I don't really have any notes on him, but I've kind of been watching him from a while for a while on YouTube, and I just didn't really realize how interesting his business was and just his life was in general. So his name is Whistling Diesel. A lot of people know him. You either hate him or you love him. And he basically grew up on a farm, I guess. And he does all of these videos where he gets these trucks and he just kind of drives around and destroys them. Like he'll get really rare Toyota Hiluxes from Japan, import it from Japan, and then just destroy it in a video. Wait, is that the guy who did the helicopter crash? Yes. What a nut job. Yep. Nope. He, not a fan. <laughs> so it, what's insane is his business model is buying stuff from a certain community, whether it be the aircraft community, the car community, the squatted truck community, and he'll buy whatever it is, make fun of it, and then just destroy it in his video. And people just go insane. How many views do you get on a video? Oh, millions. And he also has a uh, a merch website. Okay. And his his whole his whole personal personality and humor throughout the video is just hilarious. He's like, he he has all his um his team in the background helping him film, and he's doing something, and he's like, wait, but how are you gonna afford this? You haven't paid your taxes in three years, Cody. But it's just hilarious. So. And anyone from the community who just likes trucks and stuff like that will just love his his content. So he basically, he he is fueled, one of those businesses that is just fueled by hate. He'll get an airplane, do terrible things with it, piss off the whole airplane community online, and then just profit from all their views and all of the publicity he gets. Yeah, I like people who take the hate they get and turn into something good. Yep. I'd say he's turning into something good. I'm looking online and it's saying his net worth is three million, but see I never that trust doesn't that. add up because he has that doesn't he just recently ex- expanded and like built like a whole factory and then bought a helicopter and then flew it inside his building and then flew it into the roof. Yeah, but that's one way to lose three million dollars. You keep doing so, stuff like that. So yeah, but he's not gonna lose it. It he hasn't. He just keeps doing it, and he's obviously growing because he's doing it with bigger things now. He's taking big-ticket items and just destroying them. It doesn't matter what he did with the money or what he did with, did with the things. There's always going to be somebody who hates on him. Did you hear about Mr. Beast? I want to say it was this past week. He cured blindness for a 1,000 people because they were either born with cataracts or they developed cataracts, but they never got the surgery. And apparently the surgery is maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes. But the greatest part was not, I mean, they could see, which was amazing. Some people just, they couldn't work because they couldn't see. One kid was maybe 16, 17 years old. He he wanted to drive, but he can't drive because everything is blurry. He can make out shapes. 
some people had jobs they they can't work anymore and they're on disability and then they'd come out of the surgery 20 minutes later you take off the the cloth on their face and then there'd be a sign in front of them that said you won ten thousand dollars or he'd give people fifty thousand dollar scholarship for college or a brand new tesla it was amazing but the amount of hate i saw him get on twitter was insane they're saying just horrible comments and these are people who I contribute mean, nothing to society i mean yeah i guess i can see where the hate comes from people think he's using that to get publicity but the reality of it is he's already had publicity for years and now that he has publicity he needs to put his money in good places and he did the right thing and people just fail to understand what he's really doing in the long term i mean that's he devoted his life to this business so why wouldn't he on one of his it seems like it's a kind of cycle he he makes a bunch of money from one video and then he dumps it all into another video so on a few of his cycles why would he waste all of his money on building a giant uh charlie in the chocolate factory why wouldn't he just make a video on curing blindness? Like, it only makes sense, and it's a good thing to do. People were saying, oh, well, this is clickbaity. He was just doing it for the clicks. It's like, well, yes, because he takes the money that he makes from each video, and he pours it into another video. And guess what? He spends a million, two million dollars per video, and if he doesn't like the video, he doesn't show it. That's kind of crazy he doesn't have any i thought he was talking on joe rogan they're like well how much are you worth and he said i'm probably the poorest person here because he doesn't take that money and buy crazy things for himself no he gives it away the guy is using capitalism to give it all away and people are saying his philanthropy is horrible and it's not clickbait if he actually cured blindness for a thousand people i can't think of anything nobler than giving sight to a thousand people Oh, haters gotta hate. And these are people who produce nothing for society. They just complain about everything. Yep. So, hey, hate all you want. I'm sure he got more views because of the hate. And I don't know. Stuff like that just bothers me. So don't worry about the haters. Doesn't matter. what You could be cure blindness for a thousand people and people will still hate on you. So if you're ever deciding on doing something, but you're worried about what people say, just do it because who cares what people think? They contribute nothing. And that's my little rant. Okay. So this company is called Sleep Junkie and they're conducting a three month study where they will hire five people that they've named dairy dreamers and they will eat cheese before they go to bed oh no and record how the cheese affects their sleep oh no no what do you think don't do it not don't do it don't do it how much are they paying i won't do it but how much are they it's a thousand dollars a month what am i what one second it's not worth it the gig starts this march and lasts three months and everyone who does it will be paid $1,000. So what it requires, you need to log your sleep via a sleep tracker. So what we talked about in the last episode, the whole whoop wristband thing, right? you need one of those, whether it be through an Apple Watch or whatever. You need to provide a written evaluation of your sleep quality and any feedback on dreams, nightmares, or energy levels like throughout the week too. You must be at least 21 years old and go to bed at consistent hours and be able to sleep alone during the course of the trial. So if you're with somebody, you can't be sleeping with them. You will purchase and eat the list of cheeses provided each week. They will include blue, hard, soft ripened, and, proce and processed cheese, as well as vegan and lactose-free selections. So... There's other options as well. So you're just going to eat this cheese and you're going to document what it does to you and you're going to get paid money. I wish I was 21 because I would be getting paid $1,000. How much you can spend on the cheese? Have you got to eat cheese every night for three months? They must give you the cheese. Well, they told you you got to buy it. I hope they give you the money for the cheese because Wait, that $1,000. Did, really, did I really read that? It's going to cost us. You, you will purchase. Okay. So, yeah. I guess. I mean, hopefully they give you a grand a month. Hopefully they pay you for the cheese along with the $1,000 because 
if I'm going to have the squirts or something, you got to pay me more than $1,000. I've had some rude nights, and that was just from eating ice cream maybe an hour before bed. Okay. Cheese would mess my stomach up. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I, need, you, I don't do dairy before bed. I don't drink milk before bed. I don't do any of that because I know it's going to be 3 o'clock, and I'm going to be, like, sweating bullets. It's not going to be pretty. I have ice cream before I go to bed sometimes. You got an iron stomach, my friend, because I can't do that. It's like end of the night. You got to have that, you know, it just... No, no. That would tear me up. It would be... It would be clothes off, sweating bullets, hugging the toilet, nasty. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Dairy. All right. So, okay. A study conducted at Mount Sinai reveals that cheese may be addictive. It contains a chemical that triggers the brain's opioid response. <laughs> I do like cheese. They explained that this is a first step towards identifying specific foods and properties of foods which can trigger an addictive response. So it could change the way they approach obesity treatment, I guess. I don't know how people eating cheese is going to... Because it finds out what chemical is affecting the brain, giving you like a dopamine fix and whatnot. And then you probably tell people, don't eat, stay away from those foods. So if you you eat the cheese before you go to bed and you can't fall asleep, it's likely that that cheese is addictive. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I don't know. It's got to be something That's like an that. interesting study, and it's crazy that they found funding for such a study. Yeah, so Dairy Dreamers. Dairy Dreamers. Yep. I think we got the title for the episode. I they also... Funding for this stuff. They get funding. Yeah, it's crazy. Who funds these studies? So, when I was working at the gas station, I don't know if I've said this in a past episode, but I was out cleaning the pumps one day, and then... A truck pulls up to one of the pumps, and there's a giant ad on it, and it, like, really caught my eye. And then I look for a second time, and it's a regular box truck, and the entire thing is LED screens. Oh, yeah, you'd never seen those? No. Why not? And it blew my mind, and then just the other day when I was looking at ads, I looked at billboards, and I looked at this company called um, Blue Line Media, which does... um, Times Square? Connecticut and stuff like that, that area of billboards. And you can rent out a a billboard, digital billboard truck. And the the pricing difference from a regular billboard truck with a regular just paper on it to the digital one is insane. So at Blue Line Media, the mobile billboard truck, which is just a static print, is 800 to 2400 per truck per eight-hour period. For eight hours? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the mobile billboard truck starts at 1200 to 3600 So it starts at almost a half of the price more for the billboard truck. I don't do public math. I don't Shock do public math either. That's why I don't want to no, say I just numbers. I like saying that. I heard that from my first million. Like, yeah, we don't do public math. Plus, I wasn't even paying attention to the numbers. But still, I'm just, I'm blown away. That's insane. I thought that'd be for a month. Oh, no. Like $1,200 for a month. Oh, no. There's a bunch of companies doing this. Why don't you just buy a truck? LED truck media, $1,500 per day to $50K per day you could spend. Why? I would assume that's depending on location. Like, if you were in New York, it's probably $50K a day. But, wow. Why don't you just buy a $50,000 truck outfitted with uh, TV screens and do that? For eight hours. Yeah, that's on. Okay. I would love to drive around. and You pay off your truck in a month. I know. I can't. You just have to make your own little company saying that you're going to advertise be. on your truck. That can't be hard. Or just go to other companies and be like, hey, look, I got a truck. Give me some deals. I'll give you a cut. Or just go to an ad agency. Yeah, like I mean, Blue Line Media or did that any... I didn't realize the prices were that crazy. Oh, and it's cool. This, this company called... um. Digital LED Truck Media, which is kind of like one of the top companies, or LED Truck Media, you just go to it and you can, it's kind of like any modern page. You just go, you like upload your files, you can look at a live view of the truck and everything, and then just geolocation, and they also have geolocation tracking of the people around them awesome. driving around in the area so they know where to drive. 
So say you're advertising for a specific thing, they will drive that truck to communities that like that specific thing into even targeted people who like that specific thing. I think advertising is going to be crazy in 2023. I think you're going to walk into a store and there's going to be personalized ads playing over the loudspeaker. Because think about it. It's just a matter of connecting that person's phone in real time with where they are and some ad buyers creating a little marketplace. Bam. Playing music in the store. Customer walks in. They're interested in dog toys. Ads for dogs. We do it online. Why don't we do it in person? That's an idea I had, too. I like them both. I really like that mobile truck one, though. That seems insanely profitable. It does. And when I saw the guy doing it, I was like, is that your own? I should have asked him more questions, honestly. Uh, well, I'm sure you're going to see it again because Natcha brought it up. It's like one of those things when you I've buy the it. car you have, then you see yeah. it everywhere yes. before you've never seen it. Yes, exactly. Where was this? In Johnston? What is that called? What is that effect called when you... When you have something or learn about something, you just start to see it more. I don't know. I know there's an arm for it, but I saw it in Johnston, yeah. That's what I liked about the truck because people would use that, and instead of putting a display on it, the, you would get the forward-facing camera in front of the truck so you could see what was in front of the truck while you were behind the truck. So if you wanted to go around it, you could safely and not worry about a car in front of that thing. And that's what I've seen it for, but I, I've seen ones with ads on the sides, and uh, they were beautiful. And they changed them out, too. It would, like, flip, just like a digital billboard. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you could get a 15-second slot on a billboard in Times Square in New York for 40 bucks, but 15 seconds. So I'd have to make sure we got a <clears throat> New York and... Oh, like point at it and... I got another one. I saw this on Netflix from the future of... Okay, so they're coming out with this technology where they basically have these speakers, but they only project sound so far and they stop. So imagine like a little force field of sound or bubble of sound that you could walk into. That's kind of cool. So different areas of the airport will play different sounds because... It, and if there's a warning area in one area, they could just play that sound to that specific bubble and it'll be so clear to everyone in it. But the minute you leave that zone, there's no more talking. So imagine walking down the street of a really dense city and seeing all of these billboards about eye height, you know? And then each, when you walk by each one, you hear it's, it's audio ad, but only when you're in front of it. Is this a thing that's going on now, or...? It's going to happen. Oh. I would assume you'd need a piece of technology, but you... I mean, I, I like to a wearable or something. No, it's like, figuring out how to manipulate sound so it only goes so far. That's awesome. I actually really like that. I, you know, you walk through different... Walk by different TVs or whatnot, and just in that little three-foot zone around the TV, you hear it, and because mm -hmm. it's an ad talking. I think the the ad industry completely has to change again. It's going because to. of AI. Always gonna because of AI. Okay, it's just going to mess up everything, for sure. I, I like whole foundations. Google search is going to go away. All of the... and did I don't know if I said this before, but it's really scary about the whole AI thing, and a lot of people were against it. And even Elon Musk was warning against AI um, a while ago. And he basically said in one of his meetings that if all of your competitors are working on AI products and all of your shareholders of your company also want you to work on AI products so your company doesn't fall behind, you're going to have to work on AI products. And that's basically what Elon Musk said. He said, he doesn't really support it. He thinks it's a threat to kind of not really our lives, but our society in general and just how it operates today. So it's kind of scary to hear that from someone who's going to space and obviously pretty knowledgeable that AI is going to take over and he doesn't like it, but he's working on it just so he doesn't fall behind. And I mean, any logical person in that position would probably work on it. It's the space race of the 21st century. Yeah, when you said that to me, I was like, hmm, it kind of makes sense. Because what they're going to essentially create, what they're going to essentially create 
is what's going to essentially destroy them all. But they have to create it because, well, if we don't create it, somebody else is going to create it. And that's it's, the crazy mentality we have. But. Yeah, it's cool. It's like it's, like the space race. It's, it's like insane. we just got to Everyone is pushing for it. What really scares me about the whole automation thing about society, I mean, if you really think about it, if it's going to end up somewhere, things are going to start getting automated. This is going to be wall. And You've yeah, seen Wally. Yeah, I know. I knew you have. And robots don't stop. That's the thing. In that, when investors see that robots don't stop, they don't call their them. eyes light up. They want everyone to, every company to use robots. One hundred percent. They want every company to, but you just... because they'll just make more money, and they'll, and then their investments will be certain because they know how it's going to run. That's why you're seeing today at McDonald's, you got the self kiosks to order, so you don't need to talk to a cashier. Yes. Insert your money. You got the self checkouts at Walmart. Everything's going automated. That's why you got to learn to work with machines or learn to work with a programming. It's language. so scary because these companies, they're just seeing it happen firsthand that less and less people are working and wanting to work. That's why people also have to. You just put the two pieces of the puzzle together, and it answered the question. Question answers itself. So my two productivity hacks that I discovered this week were changing my computer monitor whenever I work to black and white screen. So there's this little mode that you can flip to, at least on my monitor, and probably a lot of laptops, where you just change your screen to black and white. And you don't really realize how much the colors on a screen affect you until you turn them off. So like just the other day, I was working and then the screen was hurting my eyes. So I turned it to black and white just to help it with my eyes. And then I realized that like I could just look at things better and understand things better. Like my attention wasn't getting torn all around the screen. It just, it just kind of like, I had this little like epiphany about it. And just the other day I was on Twitter and this guy who is just posting a bunch of different stuff mentioned how you should change your screen to black and white. And I was like, oh my gosh, thought confirmed. That's that's amazing. I never even thought about that. Plus, I didn't actually, I mean, I guess obviously it makes sense, but I- It makes sense, but you don't really think about no, that, that I had the option to do black and white. I didn't know I actually had that option, but <laughs> once you said it, yeah, advertisements aren't crazy. Your focus is more drawn into what you're actually focused on and not everything around you. Yeah, but you don't really realize how much color would affect your attention. Yeah. Attention span. It's, it's incredible. That's awesome. I mean, if you just dumb it down to like human attention spans, human, yeah, attention span and like the biology of us. You realize that, like, we are drawn to colors and less colors. Will be... That's actually an awesome productivity hack. Next yeah. time I got to focus on something, I'm going to do that. What a great idea. I'd... This productivity hack I originally discovered from the blogging millionaire, where he says, You should, if you have trouble focusing or getting work done throughout the day, give yourself one specific task to get done and set a timer for, for however long, like five minutes, 15 minutes, and only work at that task at hand and work until the timer goes off and almost kind of treat it as a race and try and finish before the timer goes off. And if you do this repeatedly, it's it'll supposedly just help you get into a better. Um, mindset mindset for working and focusing so just the other day i was trying to create a wordpress form to get people's email on our website so they can get a notification about each episode when it comes out and when i was creating the form in the bottom right corner was a timer created by wordpress forms and it was a little wordpress forms bear and then a timer under it counting down from three minutes and it was like it had all the steps laid out and it was like complete in three minutes. And I was like, oh man, sweet. It was cool. See, I think you really need to gamify more things in yes, life. It's all about that. But that's the problem my boss has. He's a creative genius, but that guy, it's hard for him to focus on something. And then he, he gets so overwhelmed by everything he's got to do. And I just say, pick the easiest one and that's start with that. Too. Yeah. Just, you got to pick one. Whatever you can handle, whatever you think you could get it done, and set the timer and do it. Now, last thing I wanted to go before we uh, we end this episode was, did you hear Costco in L.A., uh, Baldwin Heights, they're going to 
create 800 apartment units above a Costco. And the amazing thing is I'm told that they'll give you a free membership with the apartment and it's unlimited uh, uh, free samples. I would never leave my apartment. The only reason I leave is to go get food. But no, they even say they're going to have delivery slash room service. So, yes, I run a chicken pot pie, a frozen pizza, a six-pack of this, and some batteries, please. <laughs> Just because I could. I would never leave oh. the house. I'd be down in there. My also, I'm bored. Can you get me something to assemble, like a new shelf or a table? Yeah. We got any puzzles down there, any new board games? Yeah. Pretty soon we're going to have... A apartments on top of ikea and you can just buy whatever you want from the store for free and put it in your apartment you're just screwed there's no exits it's just a maze that's kind of scary i've never been to an ikea that's like having apartment buildings on top of walmart you would never have to leave as crazy as it sounds i love it I would never know that's scary because I really like my yard and everything, but that is scary. I mean, I would definitely stay in one though in the future if there was a oh, hotel above Costco or BJ's or Sam's Wholesale Club. I would lose my mind. I think they should do that. I think hotels and apartment complexes should partner with a big chain retailer. Like you're above an Amazon warehouse. <laughs> Yeah, give me give me some brie from Italy, and then get me this wine from California. And okay, five minutes, thank you. Talk about same day delivery; they just walk it right up to you. Way too far fetched. Way too far fetched. But stores and and everything in hotels are always close to each other. Everything, everyone wants everything close. So why wouldn't you just put a hotel on top of Walmart? It sounds crazy, but. You'd have to have a separate entrance or something. No. Because you wouldn't want to go through a Walmart to go into... What is Costco thinking? Oh, in LA? It's probably needed. You probably need the housing. I would assume it's rather cramped there. It's just know. blowing my mind. I think it's genius. It, it is genius. It's everything you need below you. I just... I want to be above a Taco Bell. I, I love Taco Bell. Oh gosh, we're gonna have we're gonna have apartments above McDonald's soon. You never know; it could go that way. I don't know. I just thought that was wild. I was really more intrigued by the unlimited free samples. I'd be down in my bathroom, you know, big flip flops or whatever, just saying, "Hey, Dan, okay, I'll take uh, twelve fried sausages, please, and uh, some cheese." And you never buy food; you just go down for the free samples genius that's breaking my brain it's genius i love it sign me up for a vacation rental that's what you do the uh people who do the timeshares have like you get a timeshare above a costco <laughs> i know it sounds crazy now but wait till you try the room service that's it for this episode of coffee milk i'm mark laporte and i'm mitch Tavallo. stay cool no stay warm have a good night <laughs> see you next week that's it.